welcome to Bo's Cafe. Hey, uh, we are full of energy today, I can tell. This is just a... I'm going to need some. I have trouble with sarcasm, Bruce. Was that what that was? <laughs> can, I can always seem to give it, but man, I have the just hardest time it. understanding no, it. No, no, Just well, always have to ask. It's it's not cynicism. It's no. sarcasm. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Which are dark. I Sometimes they're close cousins. Yes. But they're not always in the Absolutely. same family. Yeah. Well, and, and John uh, was just asking about <clears throat> this uh, country. Uh, Bosnia and its stability at this time, and I'd like you to read, John. Speaking of, we have friends there right now. We do. Uh, your son-in-law your son yeah. is in Bosnia, Bosnia right yeah, now. Is. This is an interesting coincidence. Yes. I saw a, a Facebook post of him uh, teaching health um, and and some kind of training over well, there. That's wonderful. He's, yeah. he's trying to get them to stop smoking while running. <laughs> you want, what you want to do is you want to take the cigarette. That was a stereotype. I'm that's sorry. great. You know, the... the uh, that was sarcasm. Uh, sarcasm, <laughs> but not cynicism. No. No, no, no. Okay, John, 1995. Okay. I'm sitting in one of the many repurposed military huts at the Goshensi refugee camp in northern Bosnia. It's a sticky June afternoon. Two brothers and their wives are slowly and quietly recounting for us the particular atrocities of the hell which has fallen upon Croatia, Serbia, and Bosnia these last half-dozen years. None of them make any noticeable facial expressions. They speak in monotone. It is an eerie and heartbreaking experience to hear the one brother tell without any emotion of the third brother having his throat slit. Everyone has walked with a suitcase or grocery bag many miles through and around enemy checkpoints to end up in this camp. We are the latest in a steady stream of well-intentioned caregivers to these war-displaced families. And every person we meet can tell of a family member killed, tortured, or raped in this hideous ethnic genocide. No government is innocent, but most of these refugees are. They didn't want this war or cause this war, and now their own neighbors, with whom they have loved and done life, suddenly are enemies, burning homes and torturing old friends. A sick appeal to religious differences, national unity, and ethnic cleansing has demanded such. I am worn down. This is our third day in the camp. Every story blends together. We are here to offer the hope of Jesus, but they are so wounded, so devastated, so full of shock and thinly buried rage. The hope of Jesus must sound like the promise of free accordion lessons. What you are offering might be nice in some other world, but right now we are awaiting news of how many family members are still alive and if we will be allowed to stay here another day. And I feel cheap. Listening to these couples, I realize I have come here with exceedingly wrong motives. I wanted to do something relevant and big for God. I wanted to go where there was the greatest need. I wanted to be in the center of the action. I wanted to have stories to tell of walking among the wounded in a war-torn country. I wanted to be the hip pastor who would go into harm's way. I wanted to come back to our church with a report of the dozens who trusted Jesus. Yesterday, I listened to a man who had watched his family entirely and cruelly killed back home in Banya Luka. After listening to his story for a while, I tried to offer him the hope of Jesus. He shook his head back and forth. 
Through an interpreter, he said these words to me. What do you want from me? I have lost my family. Where is God? And who is this new God you are trying to sell me? I don't want a God who would allow what I have seen. What do you want me to do? Would you like me to pray a prayer so you can check off a list back home? I will do that. I did it for the last group. If you do it, will you then please leave me alone? I was embarrassed for the interpreter. I was embarrassed for me. I excused myself and walked out of his barrack. Oh, God, I want to go back home. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't like who I've tried to be, the great American caring Christian. Help me. I don't know what to do. I have no relief gifts to offer, and you apparently are not what they are looking for at this moment. I don't know how to help. I feel trite and useless. Nothing seems strong or supernatural. It's like you're not here. I hate this feeling. I'm so sorry to write these words. I know you're here, but I've never felt oppression and darkness like I have these days. Please help fill the hours and get me through until we get on the bus that takes us to the airport on Friday. I'm sorry I came here. I'm so sorry I can't do anything. I'm sorry I'm misrepresenting you. I wander around the camp until early evening when we all get on the van back to the seminary in Osijek, Croatia, where we sleep. Others are loudly recounting stories of hope and spiritual openness. I, I have nothing. It's now Thursday morning. We drive back to the camp. I'm making the rounds to yet unvisited refugees with others, keeping a low profile. But it's too much to take. So I break from the group again to go outside and I wander the camp. I notice down in the low-lying areas some even worse conditions. Apparently, even in refugee camps, there are haves and have-nots. I am informed this is where the Roma stay. The Roma They are the present-day gypsies who still live throughout Europe and the Balkans. I, I watch a deeply wrinkled older man make impressive, intricate wooden spoons and vials. I offer to buy some. He is so appreciative. Eventually, I'm asked into his family's um, home. It is a stagnant, hot, dark room with no windows. The air is thick and full of sickness. A large hunk of indefinable meat sits on a table, flies devouring it. I so do not want to get sick. I want to excuse myself. But a man, perhaps in his late 30s, calls out to me. He is seated across the room, cross-legged on the dirt floor. You are from America, yes? So why are you here? He is clearly the, the leader of the family. Well, well, you know, I mean, we're here to offer comfort and spiritual help to the people who have been through so much sadness. You are here to talk about Jesus, yes? Well, uh, yeah, you know, yes, but we want to be sensitive to those who are not. Uh, tell me about this Jesus. Would you to be so kind? And for the next hour... We both talk and question and answer and ask some more, and the room begins to fill. They are leaning in and listening intently. I am suddenly willing to contract whatever is in this room. For the first time on this trip, I feel like Christ and John being me. I'm falling in love with humans from another continent. When it's over, he asks if he too can be a Christian. He asks me what he must do, and I lead him through a rough, clumsy talk he could have with God about trusting what Jesus did at the cross and the resurrection. He prays it out loud in front of everyone, and then he gets up and he hugs me. He is smiling and so kind. He offers me the meat on the table. He sees my hesitancy, and we all laugh. Others hug me. 
Jesus is fully here. He was here the other days. I just couldn't see him in the middle of my strain to prove myself. Why was this so different, I asked myself on the ride home. Maybe it is this. Who I am, Christ in me, wants most to love more than anything else. That's the real me. And the awakening then becomes, I am a lover on my worst day. And I misplace it only when I pretend I have what I'm not sure I do. I heard later he was baptized by someone in the group following us. Someday, at a wedding feast in a land far away, we will meet again. And he will not be living in the bad part of town. He will be right in the middle of the city, lit with the glory of God himself. Good, John. It's a great story. Um, how, how many times have you had that experience triggered by other circumstances? I mean, is this a normal thing, or would you say, no, this was, this was one of those? Mm, I think maybe this one got exaggerated because yeah. of where I was, but I, I think I've gotten in my, myself in that spot a, a lot in my Christian life. Where the, the Christ in you, even though Christ is in you and he is making you a lover, yeah. you still feel... Hmm. I'm still still trying to... Other things eclipse that. Uh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm trying to make something happen. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to be enough. I'm trying to prove that there's something in me that makes me great or makes me worth love, being loved, and those results would prove it. Yeah, yeah. Do the others uh, of you feel this? Do you? Oh, yeah. yeah. Shoot. Yeah. Trying to figure out, did I do <coughs> enough at this particular camp? Or did I just recently when someone passed away and I felt like an absolute failure, thinking I should have led that better, I've had experience with death, and I just didn't know what to do. And I'm thinking, <laughs> that was an F-plus failure. Mm-hmm. But you never know what... Well, first of all, even if you do fail, I mean, okay, so let's talk about that. What, In some ways, what does it matter to God? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's mm-hmm. still just as pleased with me. But we're typically wrong. We're, we're yeah. typically, the worst thing that we can do is sit and wallow in why we weren't good enough because really then at that point we are mm, losing out. So, yeah, but yeah, that's pretty familiar. I, I think it's interesting, John um, and David, it's interesting, isn't it, where we can get to a point often where we think we have to manufacture something. Live up to something. Or live up to something, which is what you were doing the first. And then something naturally happened, and the real Christ in you just came out. Yeah. Leapt out, yeah. yeah. So so to me, it's it's just that amazing sense that we have to be the manufacturer of something for quote to work and then we're so disappointed when what we manufactured didn't work yeah so so we were the author and we were the finisher mm-hmm. and 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 yet it just needs to be what love is it's natural you know and and I love the story in that part where you hugged each other because in that moment John somebody was loving you yeah. and you let them yeah and you were loving them yeah yeah you know, it, it, I think about the f- the first two groups that I was with. 
they never had a chance of getting my love. Exactly. I, I, unless they performed for me, because I, I wasn't there to love them. I yeah. was there to get them to do something for me. <laughs> those the poor people, how many dozens well, Like of, he said, he, he made the decision yeah, for the last yeah, group. Absolutely. And when he'll you, make it for the next if group. If you'll just leave me alone. <laughs> Which was it. pretty funny. But yeah, I mean, yeah, when you look yeah, back at yeah. it, you he go. knew exactly what uh, he was exactly. doing. Exactly. Uh, he he was, said, okay, you manufactured something, I'll buy in, yeah. get, get out of here. Get yeah. out of here because I'm not buying it. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. the kid with the $1 candy bar, and you're like, I know that thing tastes like chalk, but... Will you Here leave you my go. door? Yeah. Get out yeah. of here. So what that's that there's right. a coupon for a hamburger on the back? I don't yeah, know. That's oh, right. Man. That's right. But I think it points out again the the great benefit of living every day loved by Jesus, knowing Amen. in that we, we can have that experience in the moment every day and how much that frees us to love mm-hmm. others. We love because he first loved us. If we can experience that, we can like you say, John, uh, overcome those preoccupations, those hurdles. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see you next week at Bo's Cafe. See you later. Thank you, guys. Thank you,